Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Welcome to our Monday night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm glad that you're with us tonight. I'm Andrew Womack, got Richard Harris here. He's our chief counsel, also the director of Truth and Liberty. And tonight as our guest, we have Tim Barton. I'm gonna give him a little better introduction in a minute. But uh, man, praise God for July the 4th and what we're celebrating. This is the greatest nation on earth and we are unapologetic about it. And we're gonna be sharing some things. Tim and his dad are, I, I believe, national treasures. They have a biblical understanding of our history like very few people do. And I promise you, if you aren't absolutely thrilled and proud to be an American, you need to listen to what they gotta say. And if Amen. you are, well then you'll love what they've gotta say. So anyway, you're gonna love it tonight. Amen. So Richard, share with us uh, some things that are going on here and how they can get involved. Absolutely, well, thanks Andrew. Happy 4th to everybody, happy Independence Day. Uh, wow, what a, it is a, a blessing to be an American, isn't it? And uh, here at Truth and Liberty, we celebrate July 4th all year long, but we're so Man. pleased tonight to have uh, Tim Barton join us. We've got resources on our website that are there for you for you to access and to use uh, to stand for truth in the public square. Just go on truthandliberty.net and under the resources tab, you'll find some new ones there like a copy of the Dobbs decision, the case that just overruled, praise the Lord, Roe versus Wade. Um, a biblical worldview, 10 lies of socialism exposed and many others. And uh, while you're there, you ought to subscribe to our uh, weekly newsletter. Just click on subscribe, share your email with us. And uh, if you do, you'll begin receiving our blog posts, our emails, our action alerts, all these things that are designed to help you uh, stand up for biblical truth in the public square. So um, uh, uh, I want to tell you about some events coming up here. Uh, tomorrow, the Summer Family Bible Conference starts here in Woodland Park at Karis Bible College. And this is one of my favorite events of the whole year. People come with their families from, all, I was going to say all over the country, but it's truly all over the world. And uh, stay here in beautiful Woodland Park right here by Pikes Peak. Enjoy the Rocky Mountains celebrating Jesus and celebrating America and it's an awesome time so get out here tomorrow and, and enjoy it and it'll be great. Coming up in August, August 8th, uh, excuse me, 9th through the 12th is the Healing is Here conference and um, this is, uh, I, it may be the largest one of the year by attendance wise and uh, if you need healing in your body or your loved one does or a friend, come on out to the Healing is Here conference and just absorb the Word of God. Andrew said just before we got on, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word and there's nothing like getting in a faith-filled atmosphere and hearing the promises of God letting anointed ministers lay hands on you so come on out for that you could register online at awmi.net slash events and then in September 
Uh, the weekend, just uh, the 9-11 weekend is the Truth and Liberty Conference. And uh, I am so excited about this one. Uh, we are gonna have a, a roster of powerful speakers that is too long for me even to name everybody. Mario Murillo, David Barton, Eric Metaxas, uh, Pastor Rob McCoy, Bill Federer, um, uh, Lance Wallnow, who- I've Richard been, Harris. Well, yeah, we had a, one blank we couldn't fill in. But, you know, <laughs> no, no, you no. were excellent last year. That was one of the best messages I ever heard. Well, Thank you, Andrew. It's going to be great. So register today on our website at truthandliberty.net, and uh, it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, listen, if you subscribe, uh, we will um, put your name in a hat, and uh, you'll be eligible to receive a free product. Last week, we gave away Andrew's book, Don't Limit God, and Deborah Powell, congrats on that. You are the winner. You'll be getting an email about how you can claim that gift. This week, we're giving away how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will. I just reread this book for the third time. This is an awesome book. Revelation in here, you just will not get anywhere else. So subscribe today. Also, um, are you a member of Truth and Liberty? We encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting us financially. Uh, you can be a part of what we're doing to win back this nation for Christ uh, by engaging the culture with truth. And uh, just sign up today to be a, uh, give at least $5 or more as a recurring automatic gift and you become a Truth and Liberty member. And we'll send you a copy of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Dependence upon God and His Holy Bible, which is something Andrew wrote a few years ago after that uh, gay marriage decision and circulated in papers all over America. This is a great little resource. So um, last thing is uh, prayer ministers are standing by. You need prayer tonight. You can call into Andrew's 24-7 prayer center at 719-635-1111. And uh, if you can't find the 11 on your phone, um, just dial 11. It'll work just the same. So thank you guys. That's all I've got. All right, and so our guest uh, tonight is David, uh, Tim Barton, excuse me. David is his father. David is one of our board members for Truth and Liberty, and I tell you, he has just put himself out, as has Tim, and they're coming here to Colorado and helping us reach a lot of people. But these guys are awesome. I just love them, and they're very busy. Tim just came from something else. These guys are busier than a one-armed paper hanger, and yet they're willing to come and share what God has shown them with you. So, uh, Tim, welcome to our Truth and Liberty. We love you, brother. Thank you for being with us tonight. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you guys tonight. So, we got a lot of things to talk about, but mm -hmm. I, th I think we just have to talk about some of the Supreme Court rulings that have come out in just the last week. Mm -hmm. And let me just preface this a little bit by saying that even though I know that there's still a lot of work to be done concerning the Roe versus Wade mm -hmm. being overturned, I think sometimes Christians are always emphasizing the negative so much that we don't celebrate any of the victories. And I tell you, this is a victory to see this legislation of 49 years overcome. I honestly, four years ago, five years ago, wouldn't have thought it would have happened this soon, possibly not in my lifetime. This was a major win. Amen. There's no doubt about it. This is this is such an exciting time to be an American, and we've been saying for years, right? It's a great time to be a Christian in America, where people are looking for answers and truth. And we talked about it for several years. I know you guys have talked about it. One of the great blessings of President Trump, how God used him in such incredible, Amen. remarkable ways. One of the lasting legacies that will be around for generations from President Trump is what he was able to do with judicial nominations, with judges at the federal court, appellate court, but especially at the Supreme Court, 
Had it not been for President Trump getting three justices on the Supreme Court, these decisions would not have come down the way they did. But praise God that he's been raising up leaders. He's been hearing the prayers of his saints mm. for literally decades. And over the last week or two, we have seen some of the biggest significant decisions that are actually restoring constitutional principles of separation of powers and federalism and, and restoring rights to individuals and to the states. It really is an exciting time. And so there's no doubt a lot of work to be done, a lot of a lot of fights still we need to engage in, but we should be celebrating right now. Amen. This is an answer to decades of Amen. prayer and certainly something that we need to take this moment and celebrate as Americans and as Christians. And as you said, the Supreme Court now, the way that it uh, has been appointed, uh, I heard Clarence Thomas say that some other decisions need to be revisited, like Oberfeld and stuff, where they gave a constitutional mm -hmm. right to something that doesn't have a constitutional right. So this could be the first domino in a series of things. I think you're exactly right. One of the things that we saw even with the, the Coach Kennedy case that came out just a, a few days ago, where or I said a week ago now, but Coach Kennedy was the football coach and he, Bremerton High School, he was the one who would go after the football game was over. He was a 20-year Marine veteran and he fought for liberty and freedom. He wanted to enjoy liberty and freedom personally. He'd go to the 50-yard line, he would kneel down and pray. And, and when the Supreme Court came back and recognized that a school doesn't have the right to fire someone, that, that the individuals maintain freedom of speech even if they work for a school district or for the government in some capacity. So it was a wrongful termination. He gets his job back. He can go back and be a teacher. He can pray after the game on his own time on the 50-yard line. But what's significant about this case is they referenced the Bladensburg decision, and that was the mm -hmm. World War I memorial that there had been a challenge to in Virginia because the memorial was in the shape of a cross, and they said, you can't have something religious on government property. And the Bladensburg decision is what identified that this is actually permissible constitutionally, Amen. and they cited the Bladensburg case. Now, the reason this matters is what we've seen literally over the last couple of years, and I think to your point, some of these, these decisions that are happening right now, they are setting a new precedent where instead of looking back now like to Roe versus Wade, where they fictitiously created this constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. There's no, there is no right to abortion in That's the right. Constitution. But now what they've identified, and now the new precedent will be that if it's not express, expressly written in the Constitution, it does not belong to the federal government, which is actually what the Tenth Amendment says. So what's incredible about this is we've literally seen from these judges that, that Trump has been able to appoint over the last several years significant case precedent that is now going to lay the foundation for future victories. And you mentioned Justice Thomas said, you know, maybe we should consider some of these other things yeah. when over the last several decades, the Supreme Court was making up rights that do not belong to the federal government. He said, you know, maybe we should go back and talk about this because this certainly doesn't seem to be in the Constitution. He's correct. And how encouraging it is that we now have justices that are acknowledging there are constitutional limitations to the federal government and that if they were to get some of those cases, it certainly gives you the indication that they want to restore federalism, restore the separation of powers, restore jurisdictions and protect the constitutionality of this nation. That's encouraging. Tim, one, your, uh, your dad, David, his, one of his most famous books is Original Intent, and that's all about what did the framers mean when they drafted the First Amendment. Do you think these cases of, that are coming down the last few weeks are showing a, uh, that the Supreme Court might be embracing the idea of original intent? Absolutely. It, it's something that 
as we look at some of these cases, there was a case uh, in favor of religious liberty. There was there was a Dobbs decision. Well, actually, yes, first it was the New York gun decision. Then there was a Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. Then the Coach Kennedy decision, and and then another religious liberty decision for college students. As you look at these cases, what's fascinating about this, and Richard, as an attorney, you've probably read many cases and studied case law. What's really interesting about many of these decisions that were six-three is when you, when you look at the conservative Christian justices on the Supreme Court, the decisions they wrote, they actually cite the Constitution mm. to justify and defend the reason they held the position they held. They said the Constitution says this, approach. therefore we did this. <laughs> How if radical. you look at the dissenting side, the dissenting side said, well, we don't like this policy, and that's why we voted against it. But, but a judge's job is not to like and dislike things, and therefore to make a ruling on what they like and don't like. Their job is to uphold the law. And I think it's very telling that we have justices now that are saying we want to uphold the Constitution. Absolutely, that's restoring original intent, which is what the Founding Fathers intended when they created and wrote the Constitution. Well, you know, for decades we've had liberal judges and they've been legislating from the bench and it's mm -hmm. discouraging to us. We've been fighting against it and praise God we've seen a victory. But I think on the other side, now this isn't just individual women saying, well, I've lost my right, quote unquote. I think that the left sees a handwriting on the wall and I really believe that this is discouraging them. They are fighting back out of desperation. and. We had you on my program talking about the Third Great Awakening. I think that this is one of the evidences that there is a turnaround happening in our nation. I think there's no doubt. And I think it's interesting, too, some of the outcries, the outrage we are seeing. It's a reflection, right? If you look at, at President Biden's uh, election cycle in 2020, there's a lot of question marks around that. I'm saying question marks being friendly in the, you know, fraudulent mm -hmm. ballots that have now some what's been exposed with like the 2000 mules documentary, yeah. et cetera. Certainly there was some fraud involved. If you look at congressional races, you can assume there's there's been some fraud involved in congressional seats and in Senate seats. What's interesting is that judicial nominees, the Supreme Court is the one of the three branches that liberals and, and really a lot of these woke Democrats and, and progressives, it's the one branch that they cannot buy and they can't necessarily cheat their way into. And, and also it's something as we talk about the, the Great Awakenings, this is something that has the handprint of God all over it because from the outward appearance, nobody would have thought that Donald Trump of the no. 19 people running for Republican yeah. candidate back in 2016 was going to be the most conservative individual and was going to appoint the most constitutional judges that we've had on the Supreme Court literally in any of our lifetimes. That's only at the hand of God. God was doing something here beyond people. And that's why we're seeing a lot of liberals, Democrats and leftists that are throwing fits. They're, they're throwing temper tantrums because something beyond their control is happening. Mm. And this is where we would point back to the third great awakening. God is on the move. Amen. Man, I love it. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, well Tim, it's 4th of July, as we've said. Um, and I'm, I'm just wanting your perspective on, on the, today is the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed. And I, I was talking to some folks the other day and I said, you know, I, I went to law school and when I went to law school, they basically taught that America's government began with the Constitution and the Declaration is set aside. It's not even considered in law school. But how important is this document, the Declaration of Independence? Yeah, it's incredibly important. First of all, yeah, as we celebrate 4th of July, this is, apart from like Christmas, 
Thanksgiving, Easter, like 4th of July definitely is in my top holidays and, and I, I don't want to really have to rate them because I don't want to get it wrong as a Christian picking something I shouldn't, but I love the 4th of July. And with it being said, you know, a lot of people don't understand how significant the 4th of July is, what it represents in America, that, that a group of people were able to come together, largely having been influenced by their pastors, things they'd heard their pastors saying about what the Word of God taught. And this group of founding fathers got together and they said, you know, guys, what, what, what the king is doing, he's, he, he's resisting a lot of what God would have us do, and he's not letting us do things the Bible says are godly, and, and, and we shouldn't put up with this. Well, this is what leads to the founding fathers coming together. They're trying to navigate the situation as, as, as American colonists, and really we we're British colonists living in America, the king had rejected the British Bill of Rights, said, no, you, you English colonists, you don't get the same rights as people that live in England. And, and so the king literally was treating us like second-class citizens, and we, we were being penalized for things that we didn't do. We were having to pay for things we weren't getting the benefit of. And, and so the founding fathers got together, and again, largely at the encouragement of their pastors, the things they'd heard in these sermons, and they said, we need to do something different. And this leads to the Declaration of Independence. And, and what's really telling about this, the Declaration is what laid the foundation for America to become America. Obviously, the, the American Revolution is what led to us separating from Great Britain and becoming our own nation. So, so today, we are celebrating 246 years of being Praise our Lord. own nation. So happy birthday, America, right? This is great. We're really old. Like, I guess in probably world history, we're not very old, but like 246 years, that's, that's a pretty long time. And, and you look at what they said in the Declaration, the Founding Fathers laid out their philosophy in the Declaration. They said that, that we know that there is the laws of nature and nature is God, which is the reality of what you know, Paul says in Romans, that all men are without excuse because God's revealed himself through creation. We know that God also reveals himself through his word. They said, we know that truth exists. God has revealed truth through us. In creation, God's revealed truth to us in his word. We know that this divine creator, he has made us equal as individuals. Where the king thought, there's hierarchy, there's lords and there's nobles, and then you have the serfs and the peasants, but, but he's the king above everybody. And they said, no, we know that, that God created all of us equal, and, and God is the one who's given us rights. It's not the king, it's not the parliament, God gives us our rights, and government's job is, is to secure those rights. And they said that, that we look to the consent of the governed. And the Constitution is known as we the people. But they said, right, the, the power for a government should not come from this divine right of kings. It comes in an elective sense, a Republican form of government, which is what the Bible taught in Exodus 18, that you choose leaders from among you to represent the people, leaders of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It, it was this notion, Republican form of government, the philosophy of the Founding Fathers was laid out in the Declaration incredibly clear, and it was upon that foundation, that philosophy, that's what the Constitution was built on. And one of the ways we know this is in the Declaration, they listed 27 grievances, why we wanted to separate from Great Britain. When you read the Constitution, the Constitution was solving all of the problems they identified in the Declaration of Independence. And, and, and this is why when you look at the Constitution, if you don't understand the Declaration, if you've never read the Declaration, you don't really understand why they did what they did in the Constitution. And that's why even though on September 17th, there is officially Constitution Day, we celebrate living as a nation under the longest lasting Constitution in the history of the world. That's great. I love our Constitution. But had it not been for the Declaration of Independence, had it not been for the American Revolution, we, number one, never would have become a nation. And number two, the philosophy of government that made America and makes America to this day so unique. It gets freedom to the people. It recognizes that we have rights that don't come from government. They come from God. 
and it places a special limitation on government, recognizing that government's primary job is to protect our rights. This is the most unique governing philosophy ever tried, arguably in the history of the world, and the American experiment is still going successfully to this day. Amen. Wow. Great. So let me ask you this. There's people that would sit there and say, but these people, uh, man, they were hypocrites. They owned slaves, and we have the woke crowd and the rewrite of history and critical race, 16, 19, and they're just trashing them as saying that those, these guys were hypocrites. Though They didn't believe in what they were saying. Your response to that. Yeah. So, so, and that's a great question. That is an accusation we hear a lot. So what is a good answer to that? The first thing I would point out is there were 56 individuals who signed the declaration. So I like to play games. And so the game I like to play is if you can name five signers of the declaration, then I will get you a gift, right? Maybe I'll get you a $10 Chick-fil-A gift card. And the reality is most Americans cannot even name five signers of the declaration. Now, the reason this matters is how do we know that, that they didn't believe in God or they weren't religious or they were all racist or all slaveholders? How do we know who they were, what they did, or even what they believed if we don't even know who they were, if we didn't know Good their point. names? And this mm -hmm. is where, if you go back to original documents, it's, it's incredibly compelling and even clear what their belief and views were. Now, we didn't really talk about this or prep before uh, we got on to do this program tonight, but I actually have with me, it is the very first printing of the first copy of Thomas Jefferson's original draft of the Declaration of Independence. This came in 1829, it's four pages, and this is where Jefferson was writing down all of his ideas for what ultimately became the Declaration of Independence. Well, on the third page, as at, at this point he's been listing grievances in the Declaration, on the third page, the very last grievance, and I encourage everybody watching, listening, you need to go look up the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. You need to read the original draft. Go through on the third page, the last grievance. It is the longest grievance. It's an entire full paragraph. And in this grievance, Thomas Jefferson says that the king has declared war on basically Africa and he's enslaving people or supporting the enslavement of people and they're being brought against their will to America where they're being forced into slavery. And he goes through this and he says, this is the, the, the opprobrium of infidel powers, this, this Christian king of Great Britain. And Christian is the first word in the declaration that is not in cursive. It's, it's printed and it's underlined. He said, but this Christian king of Great Britain determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. And the word men is fully capitalized, capital M, capital E, capital N. And he's talking about the Africans who are brought in the slave trade. These men are being bought and sold. But the reason this matters, the only other words capitalized in the entire document are United States of America. Everything else, right, there might be a, a first letter capital, but no, we're talking caps locks. Every letter was capital. He fully capitalized the word men because he was identifying the humanity of the Africans. Because when he wrote that all men were created equal, he actually clarified who men were, and it included the Africans who were being brought to American slavery. And the founding fathers came out against slavery in the same grievance. The next sentence, it says, the king has suppressed every legislative attempt that we have made to try to stop this execrable commerce. The founding fathers, according to the declaration, had several attempts where they tried to stop the slave trade and stop slavery. What we do know on several occasions, but, but there's a letter from Benjamin Franklin in 1773 where he was writing to a pastor and he said the general condition of the Americans 
is against slavery. He said, in fact, in Pennsylvania, most of us have already freed our slaves. We've been in slavery in Pennsylvania. He says, right now, even in Virginia, and Virginia was considered to be one of the more pro-slavery states on some level, he said, even in Virginia, they are currently working on yet another piece of legislation to stop the slave trade to go in slavery. And Benjamin Franklin tells the pastor, he says, but I have no doubt the king will strike that law down as he has all of their previous laws to that end. Well, in 1773, there were several colonies that passed laws against the slave trade, against slavery. And in 1774, the king vetoed those laws. And this is what led to many founding fathers saying, this is one more reason we should separate from Great Britain. We can't even end the slave trade or end slavery in our own colonies. What is worth noting is the vast majority of the founding fathers were in fact against the slave trade. When, when Thomas Jefferson brings these four pages to the Continental Congress and, and, and they have to vote on what they're going to prove to be in the final version, John Hancock said they would only include in the final draft what was unanimously agreed to. John Hancock said that, that if we have disagreements on what's in the Declaration, he said the king might be able to come in and pull us all apart by our own separate local interests, so it must be unanimous. Thomas Jefferson said that when they were going over the slavery issue on this portion of the Declaration, he said there were two colonies that opposed the measure at that time, and it was South Carolina and Georgia. And Thomas Jefferson wrote, and this is in his own writings, in his journal. You can go back and look this up online. Jefferson said that those two states argued that to that point, they had not yet tried to end the slave trade or oppose slavery, so it wasn't a grievance they had with the king. So because two states disagreed, it wasn't unanimous, so it got removed. However, there were 13 original colonies. 11 colonies agreed with that clause and supported the end of the slave trade, the end of slavery. America ends up becoming the first nation to sign a law banning the slave trade. We can go down the list. But the point is, and, and Andrew, to your point, right, we hear a lot of these accusations that the founding fathers were pro-slavery. Most people have no idea that the vast majority of the founding fathers came out against slavery, that, that they actually started abolition movements to end slavery in America. They freed their slaves. This, this is not what we hear today, but it's because we don't know who they were and what they did. Most of us can't even name their names. If we knew who they were and what they did, it would change our perspective of what they were fighting for, what they accomplished, and what that means in America. We had one of our U.S. legislatures, though, that said America invented slavery. <laughs> is that Correct. accurate? Uh, yeah, so that was Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia. I mean, that's a super embarrassing statement because Tim Kaine, he says that he is a practicing Catholic and Catholics believe the Bible, right? And, and in the Bible, Joseph, the guy, Genesis, coat of many colors, his brother sold him into slavery. I'm pretty sure that was before America was a nation, right? <laughs> Moses in, in Exodus. Moses leads the Israelites out of slavery. Again, that's before America. But let's say, right, so, so many Christians, many Catholics don't know the Bible. Let's say that Senator Tim Kaine just doesn't know his Bible. How bad do you have to be at world history that you've never heard of like the Greeks or the Romans, the Persians, the Babylonians? I mean, you have to be terrible at world history. But he literally said several years ago, he said, America did not inherit slavery, we created slavery. That is the propaganda that's being shared today. That, that's the thing that kids are getting right now in schools. It's one of the reasons that we're telling parents over and over, you probably need to pull your kids out of public school if they are there because of the indoctrination, the Amen. brainwashing, the, the pro-Marxism they are getting. When Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? We cannot allow our, our children's souls to be forfeited on this altar of public education. And unfortunately, that is what's happening. That is what's being promoted in America today. It's just not historically accurate.
So, Tim, let me ask you another question. We have people kneeling at the national anthem and trashing it and saying it's racist and all of this. Could you give a little history of, of what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, really, we go back to Colin Kaepernick and the irony of this Colin Kaepernick was a former quarterback for the, the San Francisco 49ers. He had been benched for Blaine Gabbert, but after he got benched, he apparently wanted more attention and did something to get attention. So he started doing things to to mislabel police officers. He wore socks that uh, identified police officers as pigs. And he started saying things. Well, he started kneeling for the national anthem because he said, right, America represents oppression for black people and, and the anthem. It's pro-racist. How in the world is the national anthem pro-racist? Well, let's back up the history of it. Uh, Francis Scott Key is the one back in the War of 1812, after the British have marched on Washington, D.C., they, they tried to burn down the White House and the Capitol. Providentially, a rainstorm appeared out of nowhere and comes, and it puts out the fire in Washington, D.C. So, so God providentially helped preserve the Capitol and the White House. But the British marched from Washington, D.C., and they marched to Fort McHenry. And when they get to Fort McHenry, at, at, at this point, um, they're, they, they've already taken prisoners and captives. But Fort McHenry, this is where the battle takes place. Francis Scott Key goes to actually negotiate, negotiate a, a prisoner release, a prisoner of war. But when he gets there, there's a battle ensuing. And Francis Scott Key apparently has seen too much of the British movement. And they say, look, you're going to have to stay with us because if we let you go, you might try to go warn Americans of our movements. And so you, just, just stay with us tonight. Well, that night they begin the bombardment of Fort McHenry. And he was on with a British ship all night watching them just pound Fort McHenry, bombing shells, bombs bursting in air. And that night he heard the bombs going all night long. The next morning he woke up, didn't even know what's going on. And through the fog, he was able to look and see, and the flag at Fort McHenry was still standing. So he knew the Americans had not surrendered, the British hadn't taken it over, because had the British conquered the fort, they would have lowered the American flag, they would have raised up the British flag. And so Francis Scott Key knew that, that, that America had not been conquered, the fort hadn't been conquered. And this is when he, he gets out a piece of paper and, and he pins the Star-Spangled Banner. It was four stanzas. In the third stanza, he talks about the, the oppressed, the imprisonment, uh, and, and, and a slave. And because he mentioned the word slave, people look at that and they go, see, he's talking about slavery in America. And, and the way that it's written, if you take it out of context, it could seem like he was saying that we needed to defend and protect slavery and stop the British. But you have to really like take it way, way, way out of context. If you actually read the stanza, it's very clear it was talking about those who were impressed and the slave. Well, those who were impressed and who were slaves, one of the, the reasons that there was the War of 1812 is because even though we had finished a war with Great Britain at the end of the American Revolution, we had trade ships going to Europe, and it was not uncommon in those days for nations that they would have people and, and they, need, they need crews on their ships. So what they would do is they would impress soldiers, they would impress sailors, they would impress people of the town. And by impress, right, if, if, if you were on a ship from America and you make it over to England and you decide, I'm going to go out to eat this night and I go to a tavern to eat and somebody from maybe a, a couple group of thugs, they walk up and they might knock you out and you wake up the next morning and you were on a British ship. Well, that's called impressment. Well, some people also called it slavery, right? Mm -hmm. That you've kidnapped me, you've made me a slave. 
Francis Scott Key talks about the British impressing and the slave. He said the, imp the impressed and the slave is the way the stanza goes. He's talking about what the British were doing to the Americans that was causing us to oppose and fight against them. But today, people, because we have such terrible history and, and don't know anything, they take that to mean that Francis Scott Key was talking about slavery and America was evil because of slavery, and they really don't even know Francis Scott Key. Francis Scott Key was an attorney. Francis Scott Key actually worked with John Quincy Adams, the leader of the anti-slavery movement. Uh, there was multiple famous decisions, even Supreme Court decisions, the Antelope case, that, that Francis Scott Key literally would fight to defend Africans and, and actually if there was someone who was a slave or an escaped slave or, or was being impressed, Francis Scott Key would deliver or would, would argue for them to be delivered, but he would do it for free. Just like today we talk about some of the religious liberty law firms, some of our friends who work in those law firms, and they represent you for free to protect your freedom. That's what he did. He began to develop a reputation in Washington, D.C. The papers from the time, they called him the N-word, Right, that the bad name black people, the N-word lawyer, and, and in the paper they spelled it out all the way, but they called him that because every black person knew if they were in trouble, go to Francis Scott Key and he will help represent you and defend you. And in fact, he won nearly every single case of the slaves he represented, the vast majority of the case, he won those cases. He was a hero to black Amen. people. So the idea that he wrote the Star Spangled Banner and there's a pro-slavery clause in it, the whole thing is ridiculous. But if you don't know history and what you're being told is America is racist, and then you see the word slave in a song, the only thing you deduce is, oh, this just is one more place America's racist. It's so ridiculous. It's not true at all. Yeah. But because people don't know history, they, they don't know Francis Scott Key, who he was and what he did, they're drawing conclusions that are not historically accurate. And this is why wall builders, right? It's one of the reasons we exist to help go back and say, well, here's the original documents, right? Here's who these people were. Here's what they did. And we tell people, don't take our word for it. You, you can read it yourself. And when you read and study the original documents, what's very clear about America, is even though America is not perfect, America is not guilty of most of the sins of which she is accused. And this is where we want to help people see what, what Paul Harvey used to say was the rest yeah. of the story. Uh -huh. We want to help people see the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is America is actually much more special than most people think she is today. Mm. And Tim, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the British, when they were uh, bombarding Fort McHenry, said that if you will lower your flag, and, you know, that's surrender and, we, and we'll stop bombarding you. And I mean, they had direct hits on that flagpole and they literally yes. used human bodies that had been killed to prop that flag up. And so here's these people dying to keep from surrendering and honoring the flag and to have a person kneel is the antithesis of that. They either don't know what's happening or they hate this nation. Am I correct on those things? Yeah, I mean, I, your, your, your conclusion is absolutely correct. I, I, I do think... If I'm incorrect, you know, there, there, correct there me. That's fine. I'm not a historian. <laughs> well, so, yeah, yeah. So, so some of the anecdotal things about bodies propping the flag up, what is true is there were dead bodies around the flag. Um, the flag was massive, and so it, it, it was standing. But it's probably true that, I mean, it's very possible. They could have taken a hit. Somebody went out to protect it. But... What is unquestionably true is people were laying down their lives to protect the flag, which is also part of the history. If you look at the Civil War, when, when you look at, at some of the Medal of Honor winners, in fact, in the Civil War, there were seven black heroes from the Civil War who were Medal of Honor winners, and they received the Medal of Honor for protecting the American flag and not letting it touch the ground. What is true historically 
is the American flag has been the flag that fought for freedom and equality, that fought to make people free. And people literally have laid down their lives to protect and defend that flag because of what it represented, both in the War of 1812, the Civil War. And this is not just white people. We're talking about all kinds of people, but it was people who wanted freedom and who fought for freedom and equality for others. They laid down their life to protect that flag. So your sentiments are totally correct. Um, it's just, you know, sometimes stories get a little carried away, but it is true that, that people did die trying to protect the flag in certainly the War of 1812 and in the Civil War. So how do you respond to people that say, I'm not disrespecting America or the flag. I'm just disrespecting or protesting all of the inequities and stuff like that. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, at that, at that point, I think you have a lot bigger conversations of the challenges because when, when people think America is fundamentally racist or systemically racist, it shows how little they know, number one, of America, and number two, how little they know of the rest of the world. For example, if we talk about when was the first black person elected to office in America, the first black person was elected to office in 1641. That was Matthias de Souza. He was elected to the Maryland legislature. So, so this is right, you're, you're talking 20 some odd years after the 1619 project talks about, well, this is when the first African slaves arrived to the English colonies. We're talking about the first black person elected here in America was actually elected in 1641. The reason this matters is today, if people look at England or, or other nations in England, the first black person wasn't elected till the late 1900s, like it was like 1990 something before the first black person was elected over in England. And if you look at Russia, the first black person was elected in Russia in 2015 to their state legislature. So like th this whole idea that America's uniquely racist or America is so much worse than everybody else, it shows people really don't know American, uh, America or American history very well. And they certainly don't know the, the rest of the world. America only appears uniquely evil when you don't know history or you don't recognize that the whole world is full of sinful people. What's made America unique has been the influence of Christianity. And that every time there were sinful moments in American history, history, it was Christians who rose up to stop the oppression, to stop the sin, to stop the evil. It was Christianity that made this nation so different and special. So America is not unique in committing evil. Every nation in the history of the world has done sinful, wicked things. America is unique in that we stopped that evil before almost anybody else in the world. As I mentioned already, Thomas Jefferson signed the very first ever law banning the slave trade. He signed that law on March 2nd, 1807, when we didn't end slavery technically until the end of the Civil War, 13th Amendment, 1865. However, 4th of July is worth noting. One of the grievances we talked about in the Declaration was agreements against the slave trade and against slavery. That's one of the reasons many founding fathers wanted to, to leave Great Britain. Well, there were two Southern states that didn't think that needed to be included. But what is true is this is where a state's rights thought came into the scene. Because when we said right from Great Britain, every single Northern colony began passing laws against the slave trade and against slavery. By 1804, every single Northern colony had passed laws for the abolition of slavery. England did not end slavery until 1833. Every single Northern colony passed laws for the abolition of slavery by 1804, 30 years before England. But even if we say, well, it wasn't the whole nation. Okay, let's say 1865 is when we officially ended slavery with the 13th Amendment. We were the fourth nation in the world to do that. And there were more than four nations in the world. Even today, there's 193 nations who are part of the UN. There was a report that came out just a year ago 
that 94 of those nations still have not passed laws to criminalize slavery. We know slavery still happens all over the world. We know it right now that the Uyghur Muslims in China, more than 3 million are enslaved. We know there's slavery in North Korea. We know there's more than 9 million slaves right now in Africa. There's slaves in the Middle East. And yet today people are saying America is uniquely evil for something we stopped more than 150 years ago. It really is crazy. And yet this is the position we are in because people don't know history and they don't know how the rest of the world operates. When you understand the context of humans and human history and American history, that's when you really realize how special this nation actually is. So, Tim, let me ask you this. You could just sit there and say, well, people are ignorant of what you're saying, and they're doing all of this stuff out of total ignorance. Do you believe that, or do you believe that there's people that are really sinister, and I mean out to destroy this nation and distorting things on purpose? Which is it? I, I think it's absolutely both. I, I think you have the intentional and you have the ignorant. I, I definitely think there's people, there are some very good-hearted people who don't know better, but there are definitely people who absolutely know what they're doing, and they're promoting a Marxist ideology. If you look at what's happening right now, what's happening in education, what's happening in politics, with, with critical race theory, this is Marxist ideology. Marxism 101 says you put people in groups, and then you pit the groups against each other. This is what Marxism does, and the point was to tear down the nation, to remove the free market, to remove capitalism, to remove private property, to remove individual opportunities and ability. This is absolutely Marxism, so there are people who are very intentional in what they are doing. I think for a lot of the average American, they just have been given very bad information, and many of them have good hearts, but they just have bad information. And bad information can lead you to wrong conclusions and very wrong behavior. And to me, it strikes me a little bit like right when, when the Apostle Paul goes to the Areopagus and he says, you guys are amazing worshipers, but right there's this altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. Paul didn't come down and say, you're all these terrible, evil people, although worshiping false gods, you could have said that. He recognized that maybe their hearts are in the right place. They just have really bad information. Let me give you some better information. I think there's some of both in our culture. I think we have to learn to walk in wisdom to differentiate and distinguish who we're talking to. But I think the majority of Americans are winnable if they had better information. And this is also why as Christians, we have to be pursuers of truth. And once we discover and learn truth, we have to be much more bold in sharing truth with our friends and with those around us because there are people searching for truth right now. They just don't know where to go. So when we find truth, we need to share truth with people. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think it was Lenin that said that you need some people that are community agitators or whatever to stir things up, but then they have to have yes. a whole lot of willing idiots to go along with them. Was that a Lenin? Who said that? Well, useful he's not idiots. the only one. There were multiple people, the, the, the useful idiots. But useful it's also idiots. where Marx said, kind of a foundational Marxist principle, Marx said that in order to turn people against each other, he says sometimes you have to teach people how they've been oppressed because they might not know or think they're oppressed. So you need to teach them how they've been oppressed. And then once they, they put on that burden of oppression, once you can make them really good and offended and angry, then you can turn them against the system. That is the useful idiots we're talking about, and that's what's happening with our education system. That's what's happening in our politics, is people are stirring up and ginning up trouble. To say America is an incredibly racist nation is ridiculous. America is not an incredibly racist nation. Are there some racist people in America? Sure, because that's a sinful thing, and there are sinful people everywhere. But America is not a racist nation, and yet we are stirring up racism and ginning this up. That, that's a Marxist idea, is you stir people up, you make them angry, and then you turn them against other people, and that's the point you're talking about.
And so to take our grade school children and tell them that because you're white, you're racist, whether you know it or not, and have them feel guilty about something that they've never committed, mm -hmm. it's just crazy. And yet this is what is happening in our nation. And I'm just about to where you are. I've not said it publicly, but I, I'm really believing that why in the world would anybody put their children into an education system that is anti-Christian, anti-American? You're just asking for trouble. We need to start uh, boycotting our education system, put people in Christian and charter schools. Yeah, and, and with that being said, right, obviously there are some really great people that are teachers in, in public schools. There's some great superintendents. The problem is, is even though there can be really good people in, in the system, the system is still a very broken, damaged system. It, it would be a little bit like making the argument, but the band on the Titanic is really good. Okay, they might be really good, <laughs> but the Titanic is still going down. <laughs> That's a great point. That is the reality. Very good. That's really That's good. And you know, good. we just visited some uh, universities, you know, for our vision and expanding here at Caris Bible College, and they were touting all of the benefits of. Um, accreditation, which again, I'm not against anybody else doing, but I told them, I said, I don't want the government coming in and telling me what to do mm -hmm. and, and pulling strings. And I asked them, I said, so do you have to teach evolution? Well, we mention it, but we don't promote it. And then, you know, th there is just all kinds of little nuances mm -hmm. that uh, the government forces even Christian universities right. to do things. And this uh, leader of this university told us that with the LGBTQ things and all of the um, so-called rights that they're getting now, he says he can see it coming down the pike that they may have to break away uh, to maintain their Christian foundations. And so uh, any government uh, school, even if it's good, and like you said, they've got the band playing and they're a great band, there's going to be a lot of junk going on in that school because of the government is dictating it. Well, Tim. Yeah, uh, and there's no doubt. Go ahead. Uh, well, one of the challenges when you look at, at being accredited to is that the credentials they require. And when you're going to say that the most important thing is not how talented or gifted or how much experience someone have, what matters the most is what their academic level is, right? Do they have a degree? Degrees don't determine intelligence. Degrees don't determine anointing. And degrees don't determine experience. And yet this is what we're having for a lot of our young people where they're going to people who've been in education for 30 and 40 years and they've never had a real job, right? They've never been really involved in ministry. <laughs> yeah. they, they've never run a business and they're teaching these things. I would much rather be around someone who's been a pastor for 30 years, someone who's run a business for 30 years. And, and this is the crazy thing about academia is they say, unless you are one of us, we don't recognize you. Well, I think it, it's come time that as Americans, we need to stop looking at someone's credentials, right? Maybe the Dr. Fauci's of the world. Stop looking at their mm -hmm. credentials and just see what they're saying and what they're promoting. Is it true? And if it's not true, then I'm not signing up with you. Amen. Tim, we, we homeschool our kids. I think you guys probably do as well. For the parents out there that aren't familiar with homeschooling or that think that, wow, I could never do that. How am I going to do that? Do you have any words of encouragement for them? Absolutely. There, first of all, you can do it, right? And there's so many verses. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You can do it. With it being said, it can be intimidating. It can feel overwhelming. But what you can know statistically is even the uneducated parent is able to produce in their children a higher level of academic performance than the average student who graduates from a public school as a senior 
the average academic performance level of a middle school and freshman in a homeschooled family with the uncredentialed parents, they are performing better on academic testing than the average senior from a public school. So even the parents who, well, I mean, I don't have degrees and I'm not sure. There's a lot of places you can get information. There's a lot of aids and helps out there. There's even co-ops you can join with other parents and you can do things together. But the reality is God made a family to be together. God made parents to invest in their kids. And, and, and it was a parent's job to teach and instill and, and bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's not somebody else's job. We need to embrace the calling God's given us, and we need to invest in that relationship. The reason that we have seen decades of kids going crazy directions, embracing crazy ideas, that the things that their parents would never have agreed with, it's because their parents didn't really get to spend as much time with them as teachers and as professors and as social media did. As parents, we need to reclaim our kids and recognize the role God's given us. And even though it could be intimidating, we just need to recognize that we might have to step out in faith to do something new, but God will totally equip you. And there's great organizations that will come along that will help hold your hands as you go on this journey. And, you know, this is another good thing that came out of the COVID thing is that I've heard that uh, homeschooling has tripled in the U.S. through this. And they have so many resources on the website now that honestly you can't claim that I'm not qualified because you can gain access to godly uh, education. And in uh, Colorado, I'm not sure about other states, uh, you, this, the public schools have to accommodate homeschool children as far as sports and being involved in mm -hmm. the sports. And so they don't really have to give up anything. It may take some effort for you to learn those things, but you can do it. Yeah. Really well, you know, we started off talking about the Supreme Court. Uh, I'd like to circle back to that. One of the cases that came out, was it last week or week before, had to do with vouchers or, um, or where the government is sending money to the private schools and the court held you can't discriminate against Christian schools or schools that are religious just because they're religious. How important do you think that decision is going to be? Well, it's huge, and, and this does go along the lines. We've seen several of those cases dealing with religious liberty where they recognize that, that Christians have the same rights everybody else does, and you can't be discriminated against just because you're a Christian. I think that case came out of Maine, and they identified that the government, the state officials were approving the funding of every kind of school unless you were a Christian school, and then you can't get funding. Well, that's totally ridiculous. You, you can't discriminate against someone because of their religious views. And it's, this is a big deal that people would have the opportunity, ability, and access to have the same opportunities, even Andrew, as you mentioned, where in Colorado, and this is true for much of the nation, but where homeschool students can participate with sports from the public school, whatever the case is, you, you can't exclude someone just because of their religious belief when it comes to the government activities or government funding. So this is a very big deal that there certainly will be some concerns from parents and there'll be a lot still to be hashed out. But the good news is we are seeing the nation largely from the work of the Supreme Court moving in a direction that is, is not nearly as hostile to Christianity as it was. Now, I, I do think probably there will be a, a, an increase of hostility in some places yeah. because I, I think what happened with Coach Kennedy, where he was told that, yes, you can totally pray on the football field after a football game because you don't lose your expression of speech or your free exercise of religion. You don't lose that just because you work for the government because this was even after the game was over. I think there will be some coaches in California and New York that try that. And I think there'll probably be some liberal attorneys in those 
two states that will sue them. I think hostility will actually increase on some level because there'll yeah. be people who want to silence Christians, and, and that yeah. still exists, right? Where Jesus told the disciples, guys, don't be surprised, right? They were against me. They're going to be against you. You can just expect that. Yeah, when you stand up for God and try to make a difference in God's kingdom, there's going to be opposition at some point in some time. With it being said, the good news is, is that precedent is now shifting where the court precedent now is on our side to where even though some of these attorneys might challenge some of these teachers or coaches or, or some of these Christian schools, they will ultimately win these cases based on the current makeup of the court and the rulings that have come down. So this, this again, it's, it's a really exciting time to be an American and so fun to even celebrate these victories on the 4th of July. Well, Tim, we still have about six minutes, so we got a little bit of time to talk about things. But I want to make sure that you let the people know about your Wall Builders website. What is there? How could they benefit? What, what benefit could they get by going there? Well, we, we have so much information on the Wall Builders website. We have hundreds, if not maybe thousands of articles where, you know, even as I showed moments ago, the, the first printing of the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, it was written in Thomas Jefferson's own hand. Like, this is really cool stuff. We, we have tens of thousands of those original documents from the founding era. And we try to have a lot of those documents online. We try to write a lot of articles re relating to current culture or even telling the story of the founding fathers with, with their faith. When we hear today, they really weren't religious or, or they really were atheists or agnostics or deists or they all had slaves. Whatever the accusation is, we will try to go back and, and we'll try to write an article that gives you the opportunity to learn the truth of what's there. But then we have footnotes to the original sources. So you don't need to take our word for Right? You can go back and read from their own writings what they said or what they did to help you understand who they were, what they believed, that these were men of faith, that, that these were people actually fighting for liberty and equality, not just for white people, for all people. You will see these things pretty consistently. And so on our website, there's a ton of resources. We have a daily radio program. We're all over social media. We're doing new videos virtually every single week. So there's a lot of ways that you can follow along. You can learn history. Uh, you maybe see some areas where you can push back on culture when they make some of these faulty accusations. And then lots of resources that if, if you are a reader um, or if, if you like to listen to things along the way a lot of things where they can uh, make the most of that on the website as well so lots of resources at wallbuilders.com um, as well as there's a, a place uh, under uh, I think it's under library where they can go down and they can look for original documents and resources and and you actually can read some of these letters firsthand we have high-res images up we have a transcript if you have a hard time reading the cursive but it's it's a really fun place to go to learn about America's past and certainly America's Christian foundation and also you have a museum there, I believe, in Alito. Tell them what you got there. Yes, sir. So we, we have a museum in Alito. There's actually two facilities where we have things displayed. I, I'm in one right now. It's over more in the Dallas area. Uh, it's called the American Journey Experience. And you can go to AmericanJourney.org and you can find out about it. You can sign up for tours. Also, Wall Builders is on the west side of Fort Worth and we have a museum there too. So there's two places where we display artifacts. Both are open to the public on request. So you have to actually schedule a tour time to come in. But people, we invite people to come and, and not just see what's there, but experience history where you actually physically hold hands on. Uh, for example, this is a Geneva Bible from 1590. It actually has the Puritans uh, who came to America, their family genealogies in the front of this. These are the kind of things you can come, you can hold an experience for yourself. 
we want people to be able to experience history and it gives them a level of, of understanding on an authoritative level when if someone says, no, the Founding Fathers didn't believe in God, you can say, wait a second, I actually held some of their actual Bibles and I held some of their actual letters. So we definitely want to help people learn the truth through original documents and you can sign up at AmericanJourney.org or WaldBuilders.com to come take a tour of our facility and see these amazing artifacts. So Tim, we just have a little bit over two minutes left, but what do you think all, what do you think is going to happen midterm? I know that this is uh, approaching prophecy, but uh, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen here in midterm elections? I, I, I think we're already seeing some of it where I, I, you guys have probably already covered um, at some point the, the congresswoman down in deep south Texas. It was a district that had been Democrat for 150 years, and she's the first Republican to be a congresswoman from there, like, ever. We are seeing a shift where uh, the Democrats for a long time have just taken for granted that the minority vote's going to be theirs, that Hispanics are going to vote for them, that, that black Americans are going to vote for them. And what we are seeing is that if you ignore a segment of the population and you do things that are damaging and detrimental to them, they might not be as loyal as you thought. And so for sure, we think there's gonna be a massive shift coming. Um, I, I do think there's still gonna be some questions about election integrity. Although even one of the cases from the Supreme Court, New York City, now this is not the US Supreme Court, the New York Supreme Court said that in New York City that it was illegal for illegal aliens to vote because they're not American citizens. We are seeing incredible <laughs> things that actually could help secure elections and could help make sure that the elections are more fair and honest. And if they are fair and honest, I definitely think you're going to see a major red wave coming. And there's a lot of really good, God-fearing, Bible-believing candidates that are on the ballot. And if we get those people in place, they certainly can help stop some of the damage that's been there. And hopefully then having a good Supreme Court, having a different Congress, maybe a different Senate um, with some different leaders, we might can start pushing back more aggressively and do things that actually help the American people, that help with inflation, that help the pocketbooks, that help with the gas pump. So I'm very hopeful for what's coming. There certainly is a lot of battle going on. We know that there's a spiritual warfare going on. So there's a reason for Christians to get engaged. Don't sit back. Don't take for granted we're going to win this. Get involved in this fight. But if we do, I think there's a good reason to think we could win very big in this midterm election. Amen. So Amen. be it. Yep. Well, that's going to have to be the final word. We're just down to our last minute. Tim, you're a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Dad and Thank Mom. You. And you guys are just awesome. And uh, for those of you watching, I hope that this has been encouraging to you. And if you don't know about wall builders, please get involved with them. I just think that they are one of the ministries that God has raised up that is making a huge impact in this third great awakening. So please participate and be a part of what they're doing. Remember that we do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. And also thanks to CTN for carrying this on their network. That is such a blessing. And you can go again to truthandliberty.net and we have a lot of resources. We have a link to wall builders and we've got a lot of things there that would be a blessing to you. And we'd also like for you to partner up with us. You can go to our website and it'll tell you how to do that. So thank you for being with us. Thank you, Tim. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you again next week for Monday night Truth and Liberty Livecast. God will come through. Miracles are waiting for you, but not if you stay in the boat. It is vital for the church to be the salt of the earth and have the God-intended righteous influence on our culture and community. Faith doesn't give you the whole picture. God doesn't tell you every step along the way. He says, trust me. 
Is the finish line how much stuff you can accumulate before you die and leave it all behind? Or is the finish line standing before God? We must rebuild the United States of America, this constitutional republic under God. The time is now. We cannot wait any longer. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 